The first reading is a reading from Isaiah. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice and to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. 
See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well, well known, as dying and see, we are alive, as punished and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Congregation, please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This night, this day, 
of repentance uh, when we gather here is perhaps one of the most countercultural days in the church year. We gather here today and bear all. We speak the truth. We confess. We say the same thing about ourselves that God says in his word, namely that we are sinners. That we have all to a person and each one of us individually says, yes, this applies to me. We have fallen short of the glory of God, fallen short of the way in which God would have us live. This is countercultural because uh, you can, you know, watch uh, in the news when somebody uh, slips up, when they make an offense, uh, they give the non-apology apology, right? I'm sorry that you were offended by what I did. Is that really an apology? There's something hard, isn't there, about coming clean, about actually saying the truth. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And we come here today and have death marked on our brow. You know, a little under a year ago, the ashes that are now marking your forehead were green, lush palms that we were waving in joy. But now they are dead ashes, and they are marked on your brow in the sign of the cross, an instrument of death, a reminder that we are dust, and to dust we will return. The wages of our sin is death. So we come before God and our neighbors and we say that it is my fault, my own most grievous fault, that I'm in the position I'm in and that my destination here in time is death. Now, we do this every year. And this event of the ashes being marked on our brow, of confessing our sins in so detailed a manner, this solemn day, it can almost take on an air of theater. It's what Jesus warns against. In, his gospel, in the gospel reading that we heard today, right? We can, ironically, uh, if you, uh, you know, would come to an earlier service in the day, uh, or if you go shopping uh, here after this service tonight, uh, ironically, take a little pride in the fact that you went to an Ash Wednesday service and everybody knows because you have this mark on your brow, <laughs> Some people have even taken to giving selfies uh, so that they can show the world, look, look what I did. It's a bit ironic. Isaiah warned against the theater of repentance and fasting. The culture in which he lived uh, was one in which 
the people were trying to rebuild it uh, in the years preceding our reading in Isaiah 58, uh, the city had been uh, of Jerusalem had been utterly destroyed. The walls torn down, the, the temple itself torn down, not one stone left upon another, and the people had all been carted off. Since that time, some 70 years had passed, and, and now the people were back in Jerusalem, and they were trying to rebuild. They were trying to recapture uh, the former glory uh, and the, their place in the world. Uh, and as part of this, they were reinstituting the religious fasts, the religious observances, their worship of the Lord, things they had not been able to do in their 70 years in Babylon. But Isaiah gives them a warning. Look out. God is not impressed by your outward deeds of repentance, uh, of, of fasting, of putting on sackcloth, the modern equivalent of putting an ash on your forehead. He says, God's not impressed. Go ahead and do those things if you will. But God wants something more than that. God demands of you something more than that. As we enter into Lent, it is a season in which it is common for us to give things up. Maybe you have adopted that custom of giving something up for Lent, uh, a small sacrifice, uh, you know, to give up chocolate or pop or uh, or maybe television uh, or some kind of food, something that will serve as a reminder uh, uh, that you're in this in this Lenten season, and then you look forward to Easter when you can. Have your chocolate and your pop and your TV again. That's not, do those things if you will, but that's not what this is all about. God doesn't want you to just give up, you know, something that you enjoy. He wants your whole self. He wants you to give up your whole self to him. As Jesus says when he was asked by a religious uh, lawyer in his day, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with your whole mind and body and strength, your soul, your whole self. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. And the two are intricately connected, love of God and love of neighbor. So it is that Isaiah, when he says, what is the fast that God wants of you? How does God want you to demonstrate your repentance? How does God want you to rebuild in this life? He says this, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. He says, Isn't this the fast that I choose to share bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? 
And when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. These verses strike at the heart of our lack of love for our neighbor. We have indeed failed to love our neighbor as ourself. And Isaiah just drills right into it, doesn't he? You know, he talks about sharing bread with the hungry, but he says, share your bread with the hungry. That looks a little different than coming to food pantry and sharing bread that we got from someplace else. He says, share your bread. The bread that you bought at the grocery that you were planning on having yourself, share that bread with the hungry. He says, bring the homeless poor into your house. It's a whole lot different than funding a shelter for women like the daughter project, saying, bring them into your own house. He says, when you see the naked, to cover them. And he says, not to hide yourself from your own kin, as if they were the Jehovah's Witnesses coming to the door. Shh, everybody quiet. Pretend you're not here. Don't answer the phone. It's Aunt Gladys. She'll talk your ear off. I don't have time for that. Don't hide yourself from your kin. Share your bread with the hungry. These are the things that God would have us do to lean into genuine love for our neighbor. Here at St. John's in the coming weeks, we are going to be distributing a book called Joining Jesus. Uh, and uh, it says, How to Be an Everyday Missionary. And when you hear the word missionary, you may think, Oh, God is calling me to go to some far flung country to learn another language, to learn their culture. Uh, and, and do that far away from home. That's not what this book is about. This book is about being a missionary in your very own neighborhood, perhaps even in your own home. And what the author talks about is inviting us to do these very things that Isaiah is talking about here. To share our bread to share our time, not to hide ourselves from our neighbors, not to be content with neighboring that looks like a wave from your driveway as you get out of your car before you quickly get into the house and kick off your shoes, and then you, you know, wave at them again the next time you go outside to you know, take the trash out to the curb, but then you hurry back inside the house. Right? That's not the kind of neighboring that Jesus did. Jesus did this kind of neighboring, shared bread. In the language of the book that we're going to be giving out, uh, it is to share unhurried time with people. I don't know about you, but unhurried time is something we don't seem to have a whole lot of. We're in a, a hurry a lot of the time. Jesus invites us to fast from our busyness, 
to fast from our schedule that is jam-packed from sunup to sundown and even into the night, to fast from that so that we may lean into our relationships with our neighbors, get to know their names, share our bread with them, welcome them into our homes, share your life with them. And don't get me wrong, this is easy, right? It's, it's easy to say, hey, hey, we're having a barbecue, come on over, right? Uh, and to welcome them into your house. It, it, it is still a challenge, though, because when you become friends with your neighbors, you, you start listening and you learn their problems. And you learn their, their challenges that they're going through. And then, then what do you do? Well, then, then you listen to the words of Jesus who says, pray. Pray. Pray as if their problems were your problems. Pray with them. Even if they don't know Jesus. Ask, can I pray with you about this? To let them see what life in the kingdom looks like. And it doesn't look just like putting ashes on your forehead. It looks like this. Sharing bread. Opening your home. Sharing your life. Opening yourself up to what God would be doing. Now, Isaiah continues and he says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is Jesus who indeed goes before us and who is our rear guard. Jesus is already out in our neighborhoods, already acting and doing his work on our neighbors. He's inviting you to join him in that work, to do the work of sharing your bread and sharing your life. And let him worry about all the challenges of conversion or what if they don't like me or what if I invite them over and they say no. And you don't have to worry about any of that. Let Jesus worry about that. You follow as he leads. You do as he tells you to do. This is the discipline of Lent. This is the praying. This is the repentance of our self-focused lives to look to the lives of our neighbors and to give ourselves away for them. And in this, Jesus takes the lead. For he came to be our neighbor. He came and he called us friends. And then he went to the cross, to that instrument of death. He gave his life for us. As St. Paul said, he who, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. Dying on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. It's that knowledge of our forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead that brings us to have the courage to be here this night and to confess it all before God, knowing that in him we have steadfast love and grace that abounds.
But don't let it stop here. Don't let it stop with that. Let that joy of the kingdom, that joy of forgiveness, carry you out beyond these walls, back to your homes and to your neighborhoods, and find Jesus there, for he is there. And on the last day, when all our work is done, he will call to you, even if your bones be dust, as dust you will return to, he will call to you and raise you up out of your grave to be with him in his kingdom, his neighbor, his friend, forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.